Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. As you get to know me a little bit better, you will know some of my, well, probably most of my flaws will show themselves, but one flaw in particular is that I have a tendency sometimes to speak before I think, and that gets me in trouble. And this happened uh, in, in the spring. It happened in March when I was uh, actually sitting at a Brewers Cubs spring training game. It was about 80 degrees and sunny. And so I texted everyone that I knew in Wisconsin and told them, hey, at a spring training game right now, it's 80 degrees, it's, it's awesome here at the ballpark. And then a month later, when I was at the girls' softball game, and uh, I was told the only two things you need for softball season are lawn chair and sunscreen, and uh, it's pretty true, that I decided to do another text. Uh, another, another lovely day here in paradise I hope you're enjoying the freezing temperatures back in Wisconsin. The problem with that is now those texts are starting to come back to me. Uh, uh, When the airport closed because it was too hot and they were worried about the runway and what would happen to it in 120 degree temperatures, uh, my phone just kept, uh, the text just kept coming in. How do you like it now? How How is it down there in Arizona? And... One of the things that that has helped me uh, so that I don't get too jealous and it doesn't bother me too much is that when I left Wisconsin, I purposefully kept a memory of winter in my brain. And and this this is such a vivid memory for me. And I remember this. it, It was actually this day, it wasn't a lot of snow, but it was more like a freezing rain day. And there's a a street in Wausau called Parcher Street. And it it comes right off of the the main road and then goes down from the river right up the the east hill of Wausau. And I remember this day in particular because Parcher Street is is a couple miles long, but the hill is probably two-tenths of a mile. And I remember coming off of of 6th Street and and going up, and I was going pretty fast. uh, And... And I made it about halfway up, and I, I kept hitting the accelerator, uh, the gas pedal, but spinning, spinning, spinning wheels. And all of a sudden, you come to a stop, and then you slam on your brakes, and you slide backwards all the way down Parcher Street. And I, and I remember as I w- had the brakes locked up, and I'm watching my rearview mirror because there's cars on both sides of the street looking for a place that I might be able to take my foot off of the brake so that I can try to get the front end around so that when I hit 6th Street, which is a four-lane main road, that at least I'll be able to see the cars that are going to hit me. And, and by the grace of God, I was able to get the car around Went through, slid through, no one was coming the other way because they were smart enough not to be on the road. And then I stopped and I tried to get up again because I needed to get up there to get to someone's house for a class. 
And, and so I tried a bunch of different things. I tried going to the side of the road. Uh, sometimes if you're, you can try to go backwards up the hill. Sometimes that helps. Uh, not if you have a front-wheel drive car. Just saying if you're ever in the snow. But anyways, when it was 120 degrees, I simply got into my pool and tried to remember that bad day. And I, and I thought, you know what? I'm willing to trade 115, 120 degrees occasionally for that awful snow and, uh, and that going up and down and, and that hill, I, that hill of starting out right where you started is that memory that I have. For some of you, you might never have gone through that, uh, being in the snow and driving on the hills. And if you haven't, that's great. But one thing I think you can relate to is feeling like you, you make progress and then sliding back to where you were before. Ever feel that way financially? Where, where you decide you're going to make some changes and you're going to make some decisions that are going to help you and it starts out great and then a, a few things happen. Maybe you, you abandon your plan. Maybe there are some expenses you aren't counting on and the next thing you know, you're back where you started. Sometimes it happens in a marriage relationship. Have you ever been there before where, where you decide, you decide with your spouse, you know what, we want to make things better. We want our, our marriage to be a good marriage. We want our marriage to be a godly marriage. And so some changes are made. And, and, and things seem to improve. And then one day after you have an argument with your spouse and you're sitting in your bedroom, you're thinking to yourself, I had this argument three months ago, and six months ago, and two years ago, and ten years ago. That it seems like, like we're back where we started. Or maybe it's at work, again, where, where you go and, and, and you go to a, a conference that's going to help you and it's going to improve a, a certain thing about your business and you come back and you're all excited and you're like, yeah, if we just make these changes, things are going to be really different around here. And maybe they do change for a while and then, again, you're back where you started. I, I have to believe that I'm not the only one who has been in these situations in my life. But if you have felt that way, you can relate to what God was going through in the book of Judges. There is a theme in the book of Judges, that, that a verse that repeats itself over and over again. And that verse is, once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That they forgot, that, that they would make so much progress, and they did so much progress during the time of Joshua where they had learned their reflex action to, to believe in God and trust his promises and turn to him first. And so they made all of this progress in, into the promised land. And then the book of Judges is when they forgot and they started sliding back right to where they were when they started. And God's answer was to send a few good men and women to remind them to turn back to him. And so that is what we are going to focus on today as we, we look at the book of Judges. For those of us who have made progress and then revert back to where we've been, 
God has a word of encouragement for us to turn to him. If you look on your crosswalk notes, I invite you to look to Judges chapter 2 as we begin our message. Judges 2 verses 10 and 11. This is a little bit of what I talked about when we started. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. So after all of these people who lived during the time of Joshua, after they had died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They went to false gods. And and how did that happen? It happened because the generation that was there, uh, that knew God, when when the next generation came, uh, they no longer followed the true God. They didn't know the true God. And you wonder how that happened. I wonder how that happened. How is it that you could uh, have a generation who had never heard of slavery in Egypt, who had never heard of the Red Sea, who uh, didn't know about the conquest of the promised land and how God had brought them there? But then as I thought about that, I, I look at different articles on Christianity and religion in the United States. And one of the things that that goes across denominational lines, it doesn't matter what church you go to, one of the biggest laments of of the pastors and those who are in leadership is that their, their people are biblically illiterate, that they don't know what the Bible says. That, that they don't read the Bible. They, they don't know about uh, the, the different accounts. And, and as we look at that, the question is, how does that happen? It's because one generation does not share it with another. And maybe you're here today and you say, okay, I don't want that to happen. That's why I send my kids to Crosswalk Kids, so that they can go there and they can hear about the truth of God's word. And that's fine, and and that's a great step. But as we look at this, this is also the responsibility of the parents. I I guarantee you, if Christy Sabal was here, uh, standing next to me, she would be more than happy to tell you that today, as your kids come home, they're going to have a sheet sharing what they've learned about Samson, because that is who they are focusing on today, the specific Judge Samson. And the encouragement is to tell you as parents, that's your responsibility, And and that as you look at for each generation to say, we need to take ownership. I need to take ownership personally, knowing what God has to say in his word. But what happens is it becomes a religion that's old and outdated and archaic. That that as we look at it, that people look at it, sometimes as we look back and say, that was written 2,000 years ago. What what does that have to do with me? And what it made me think of was a a situation in my life. When Tanya and I, when I graduated the seminary, I had just graduated from the seminary, and we had just moved to the place of my first call, and we were, you know, like all college graduates, and seminary graduates, we were poor. We didn't have anything. We had spent all our money on education. And uh, we had stuff in boxes yet, and that we had just put them up. That was kind of our dressers. And we had a friend call us. A friend called from South Dakota. And sad situation in his life. His mom and his dad died within six weeks of each other. 
they, it was sad, and, and uh, the Lord had called them home. But he called us, and he said, here's the deal. My mom and dad both died, and they live in Ohio, and I live in South Dakota. Here's what I want to do. I want to give all their possessions to all the people who graduated from the seminary this year. Could you get a moving truck, meet us down in Ohio, bring all this stuff up and give it away? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the bedroom set that Tanya and I have is from that, uh, from that gift 20 years ago. So I drove down to Ohio, and we loaded up this truck. I drove it back to Wisconsin. I let a bunch of people know, come on, whatever you want, first come, first serve. And, and Tanya and I got the bed and the bedroom set. And when we were in Ohio, uh, it was on the first floor, so we were just able to throw it in, and it wasn't a problem. But when we moved up to Wisconsin, we had to take it up to, the, of course, the second floor. And we decided to take all the, the drawers out. And when I took the, the drawers out and I was taking them upstairs, I flipped the drawer, and what I realized? There were $100 bills taped to the bottom of these drawers. And, uh, and we had like $500 uh, that, was, that was there. And so, you know, I have one of those moments. They did give it to me. And technically, this is part of it. But I, I called them uh, in order to hopefully preserve our friendship. And, and when I called them, I said, you'll never guess what I found. And they said, $100 bills. And I'm like, how do you know? It said, because we had to go through the entire library that had $100 bills in it. In the kitchen, there were cans with $100 bills in it. There were pots with $100 bills in it. And that's because these people had lived through the Depression. And they had lived through having absolutely nothing. And they did not want that to happen again. They, this idea of possibly going to the bank and, and them not having that type of money. And so what they did is they, they kept it hidden in all these different places to make sure uh, that, that nothing would happen to it. And when we look at that, how do we respond? Seriously, what a waste of money. Why would you do that? Now you're, you're dead and you're not able to use it. Instead, we live in a generation where instead of saving, we spend. And, and, and we look at the amount of debt that we're in and how it chokes us. See, that's what happens when one generation can't communicate clearly to the next generation what they had to go through. And that was the case for the children of Israel. We, we live at this time where we have so much plenty, we can't imagine being in a time of want. And so it was with the children of Israel. They were so blessed. They could not conceive of this fact that they would not have this land that God had given them. And so their need for God was diminished. Next thing they did then, in those days, Israel had no king Everyone did as they saw fit. Basically, what happened is, is each person had their own little religion. This specifically was taken, it was talking about a person you don't need to remember. His name was Micah. But Micah was an individual who took a bunch of silver, made it into uh, an idol, this false god, a graven image, whatever you want to call it, a carved statue. And he said, this is my god. And then he hired someone to be his priest. 
And it seemed like a good idea that God would take care of him and protect all his stuff if he did this. So that's what he did. Not at all God's plan for his people. The truth is that when the Lord is not present, idols always fill the void. False gods. And I know today when you talk about idols, most people think about American idol. That's not what we're talking about here, but an idol, something that is not God that we serve. And, and this concept that everyone did as they saw fit, there's a term for that, that that's sometimes used, and the term is cafeteria Christianity. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Cafeteria Christianity is, is imagine if you're going through a buffet, that there's a huge buffet table. And when you go through a buffet and you have your plate, you pick the things that you want, right? That as you, you look at your salad, you, you get the salad and then you determine whether you want the carrots or the cauliflower or the broccoli. And some of those things you're like, ah, I don't like that stuff. How about some more cheese? How about a lot of dressing on it? And that's what you do. And, that, and that's then how you make your salad. The problem is, is with cafeteria Christianity is that you approach God's word that way. Everyone does as they see fit. Ooh, I like, I'm going to take a big helping of Jesus loves me. I love that. Oh, but this is sin. I don't like that teaching as much. And, and I stay away. Uh, hell, I don't like what that does to my system. And, and so we go through God's word. We find the parts that we like. We heap those on our plate. But the parts we don't, we push off to the side. That, in essence, is making yourself your own God. You are determining what works for you. Very popular, but not what God wants. We see what happens as a result in Judges chapter 2, verse 14. These people didn't want to have God in his life or in their lives, so he says, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Make no mistake about it, if you do not want God as a part of your life, and and if you push him away, he will go away. And he will leave you by yourself. But be prepared, when that happens, you are all alone. And the children of Israel were finding that out, of what life was like without God, and how hurtful and painful that was. But it wasn't just them. In Romans 1, 21 to 25, it's the same truth that a couple thousand years later, 1,500 years later, as the, the Apostle Paul was writing to the people of Rome, the same thing happened. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Notice, when they turn from God, he's like, fine. If, if that's what you want, go for it and see what it's like. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. 
the exchange that is made. The exchange of God for the next shiny thing. It's an exchange that the sinful nature makes all the time. It's the only decision it makes. But the problem is, is that when I follow idols, pain is sure to follow. It always does. Always, always, always. As you look at that, that that whole concept of pain, the the places in your life where you hurt, and I mentioned some of those in in relationship, in in finance, in work, uh, those are just some of them. And so the question is, where do you hurt? And whenever I think about that pain, I'll repeat the story to you a bunch of times, I'm sure, but but I always think of uh, when I went with Tanya, to an oral surgeon, and she had problems with her TMJ joint. And she was in a lot of pain uh, in the mornings, headaches, terrible headaches, and uh, just really frustrated. And we had gone to the dentist and, and things like that, and finally they referred us to, to an oral surgeon. And uh, he happened to be a Christian man. And when we got in there, I mean, it was, Tanya would be in tears most days because of the pain. And he said to her, I'll never forget this, make sure you thank God for pain today. She's like, are you nuts? And he said, here is why you need to thank God for pain. Because if it didn't hurt, you would not have come in here. And if you would have not come in here, within a year, you would not be able to open your mouth and you would never be able to open your mouth again. I could insert a joke here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. I can't help it. It gets in there. And it, see, I speak before I think. I told you. Anyways. That, and, and so that was a unique perspective. That pain, that what he was telling us is pain tells you there's something wrong. And so in our effort to have the pain stop, it makes us go to what's making us hurt so that we look for some type of pain resolution. And and that is what God wanted with his people, that he said, you understand, can you make the connection of why you're experiencing this pain? It's because of the absence of me in your life. And so as they were going through the pain, each time through the grace of God, they finally did turn and they were like, oh, that's right. And each generation, it seemed, had to learn that for themselves. And that's something I learned too. And that is when I was trying to go up the hill and sliding back, that I could try to go faster. I could try all my little tricks to get up the hill. But what I really needed was a salt truck to come from the top and come down and and salt it so that I could get up. And that is what God did for his people. The answer had to come from above. In Judges 3, verse 15, it says, Again, the Israelites, because of the pain, cried out to the Lord and gave them a deliverer. A deliverer. Someone who is going to come because they were sitting there going back and forth, unable to move, hurting. That now someone, not who's just going to help them, but someone who's going to deliver them. He's going to save them. And this happened to be Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Jerah, the Benjamite. 
another time, if you turn the page, another one of these rescuers, another one of these people who came to deliver was Gideon. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpet they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. What's interesting is that in the book of Judges, and especially in in the video that we watched, it mentions two of the judges, even though there were many more than that. But the two we want to focus on are Gideon and Samson. And, And they serve as perfect bookends for the book of Judges because Gideon was the weakest from the weakest clan of the weakest tribe in, uh, in Israel. And so when the Lord came to him, and, and finally after putting the men through a number of different filters, he said, you know what, I only want 300 men to go and fight the Midianites. And so it was roughly a 700 to 1 ratio of these men. And then when they went into battle... Notice what they had. They had a torch, and then they had a trumpet, which means there was no room in their hand for a sword. And and what the Lord was teaching them is that the victory and the strength was his. And so when they did, they went into battle, they did. They, They routed the Midianites, and they won through the Lord's strength, as opposed to Samson, who was the strongest of the judges. But his strength left him, When he left the Lord. And and so through both of them, through both the strongest and the weakest, we realize the strength and deliverance comes from our God. And how this is all brought together, 2 Corinthians helps us see this very clearly. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I'm going to read that one more time. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many of us will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Freedom from a death sentence. When we fall into sin, we don't need self-improvement. We need deliverance. We don't need self-improvement. We need deliverance. And, and I want you to think about that because as we, we, we looked at some of the issues um, that, that we talked about, again... Issues with finance, issues with marriage, issues with your job, or whatever it is. Whatever the thing is, the hurt that that you are in, that there are ways that you can improve. You can take the Financial Peace University Growth Group, and I would encourage you to do that. You can uh, be enrolled in the... um, member assistance program, the counseling that we have to help improve the marriage. I I would encourage you to do that. You can come up with skills and tools to help you in the workplace to deal with people that you work with. And I would encourage you to do that. But the problem that we have in sin goes so much deeper that we need someone to deliver us. And that is exactly what God has done through Jesus Christ. 
And, and very often what happens in our lives is as we go through the pain and as we make these repeated efforts for these things to go away and they don't go away, it's the reminder that really the, that as we're trying to go forward, deliverance can only come from above. And that is what we have in Jesus. And so with Gideon, the people had to learn once again in their most difficult situations to look up and to trust God to come and save them. And these are the same lessons we need to learn. Every generation, it seems, needs to learn them for themselves. One generation after another cannot live on the faith of the one that has gone before. But each of us in our generation, facing the issues of sin that only Jesus Christ can conquer, and he has. As we we look at Judges, the book of Judges, or, or not the book of Judges, but the Judges themselves are mentioned in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 11 it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. See, the book of Judges, just the name Judges, probably you think about a judge, right? So you think about someone who's probably up with a robe and and sitting there with the gavel. And that is not what the judges were. And so if we were to name the book of Judges today, we would call it the book of Avengers. You know who the Avengers are? Yeah, Captain America. Iron Man makes it into another sermon of mine. Uh, that, That the Incredible Hulk was one of them. Thor. I mean, all of these, and, and there's a bunch of other ones. These are the Avengers, right? And they are, in, each one has some really neat powers. And, but the cool part about the Avengers is, is they're always fighting for good, right? There's always the nemesis. There's always the next battle to be fought. And that's the thing is that these, these movies keep coming out because there always is the threat, Right? And, and so, through the, through the powers of darkness, the, the strength of the Avengers working for, uh, you know, peace, justice, and the American way, or whatever it is, that we look at them and, and we celebrate them. And so, as we look at the judges, it's important for us. It's important for us that as we look through these individuals who lived by faith, to see the lessons of the past... Because we are in battles now, and we'll be in battles in the future. And we learn the lessons that they learned. And and I highlighted it. Whose weakness was turned to strength. That is the promise from the book of Judges. It's the, the promise from the book of Hebrews as well to you. And that is that your weakness is turned to strength when you take it to your deliverer, to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. The final truth of that, again, comes from the strongest of the judges. 
Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. He prayed for that strength. He prayed for the strength the Lord gave him. And so, very often in our lives, each day, and I think it is, each day is where we need to get fitted for battle. Because each day is a struggle. As long as we live in a world in which we do not belong, we are going to battle and we are going to fight. When writing sermons or messages, it's hard because... I am, my mentality is I always want things to be wrapped up and fixed. And so what I'd like to, to do is to tell you that, you know what, the thing you're struggling with is going to stop. That all this is going to be good. You're going to say, Lord, I want you to be my strength. And then the Philistines are going to stop attacking. And the Midianites are going to be wiped out. But God loves you too much for that. Because it is in the pain and it's in the struggle that each one of us, not just a generation, but each one of us as individuals is reminded on a daily basis to go back to where our strength is. So the promise is a promise that in the struggle, the Lord will be with you. Uh, I heard Jeff say it this week, strap it on. Every day strapping on the armor of God, going out in the battle and fighting it with the strength that God gives. That's what God has called us to do. And so we see the final, if you didn't fill it in all right, the judges were men of faith who won victories for the Lord. They directed people to the strength that only God can give. And that is my prayer for you, to be a person of faith who turns to the Lord for strength. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you. Oh man, this is hard to pray. And but we're going to we're going to say Lord, thank you for the pain in my life. And and Lord, I'm thanking you for that because it's a reminder to me that something's wrong. And the something that is wrong is inside of me, whether it's my own personal sin, whether it's caused by the sin of others doesn't make any difference. But Lord, in these situations I am in, there might be room for self. There is room for self-improvement. But what I really need is I need deliverance. I need you to come to my rescue and save me. And, and help me to remember every day as I look at the cross of Jesus and the open tomb from which he walked out, uh, to know that he is my hero, uh, that he has won the victory for me. And so as I know that, Lord, help me to live by faith with the strength that you provide. And may I live every day for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As you go today, I'd like to direct you back to that that memory verse that we felt like we had received the death sentence but this happened so that we would not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead and and as you think about that uh, look at the issues in your life that way that the things that that seem like they ruin your life uh, that they turn us back to God who gives life and makes us whole and as you go go with God's blessing
The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Also, uh, as we're leaving here today, I don't know if you heard it during the service or if I can just hear it through there. It's pouring outside. So take this opportunity to stay dry and saying hello to the people sitting next to you. And uh, we will see you somewhere covered on the patio.